City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the third floor. So there were uh, two men in the church the other day whose college football teams were playing each other, and it was not going well for one of these men. And the other one whose team was winning was sort of pouring it on and telling him more and more about it, texting him more and more. And so one of the people in this conversation who will remain nameless, I'm not going to point out this person to you, uh, but texted the other person, you're dead to me. (laughs) Right? And this is the way that so many times in our lives we handle things, right? Most of the time we say this as a joke. Somebody's doing something that we want to be doing, we can't be doing it, and we, so we say, you're dead to me. We, we say it sometimes when we're joking, but then there are other times when we sort of say it and we, we kind of mean it, right? When we kind of said, you know what? This person has offended me, this person has hurt me, this person has made me angry, and so you know what? I'm not going to talk to them ever again. They're dead to me. And it's funny because while we as adults have a great way of sort of saying this, we have a great phrase for this that we can make jokes about, this is in all honesty the way that most of us have been taught to deal with conflict. Think about when you are a child in school and little Johnny is bothering you. What does the teacher or your parent say to you when Johnny's bothering you? Just ignore Johnny. Right? If Johnny's bothering you, Johnny's scratching his head too much. Ignore him. It's not hurting you. Leave him alone. Johnny's squirming in his seat. Just ignore him. Leave him alone. Be on your own. Right? This is how, even as children, we're taught to deal with conflict. If somebody's bothering you, let him go. Well, what's interesting is this is now baked in to us as a culture. When somebody is bothering you, how do you deal with it? You just ignore them. Just look away. And we we have this idea that anything that goes on in our lives, if we just ignore it, if we just sort of say, no, I'm just not going to deal with that, I'm not going to be around that, that everything will be fine. And so all over in our lives, what happens is we begin to just tolerate the presence of people. Somebody hurts us, that's fine, I just won't talk to them ever again. Someone offends us, that's fine, they're on our dunzo list. Whatever happens, we are quick to do this. The problem is that this idea that we can just ignore people who are bothering us becomes an absolutely cheap imitation and parody of what forgiveness is. Yeah, 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 that person hurt me. I'm just going to go away. My parents hurt me. I'm just going to move away. That, my ex hurt me. I'm, ju- I'm just going to delete them from all social media and be apart from them. I'm just going to ignore it. It's a cheap imitation parody of forgiveness. It is... It is It is like pumpkin, those little candy corn pumpkin candies, right? Pumpkin candies and candy corn are gross. (laughs) They're terrible. They're awful. 
They have nothing to do with corn. They have nothing to do with pumpkin. The same is true if we just say, I'm going to ignore somebody and move on. That is the same. That is, that is like calling candy corn corn. It is a cheap, awful, terrible imitation of the real thing. And so, at best, we have a cultural idea that is, that is just cheap. But at worst, when we live this life that is just moving on, tolerating those who hurt us, we ignore real pain. We ignore real hurt. We ignore things that are actually wrong. Because when we just tolerate things, instead of moving towards somebody in forgiveness, we're letting evil have the last word by our silence. We're not letting justice work itself out. And we like this because it doesn't cost us anything. What does it cost you to ignore somebody? Nothing. Maybe I have to unfriend somebody on social media. Maybe I have to avoid seeing somebody around the office. But at the end of the day, it doesn't cost us anything and I get to be in control. And so we accept this imitation version of forgiveness so that we can remain in control and it doesn't cost me anything. And then enter Jesus with the Lord's Prayer, who tells us that we should pray and ask God to forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And what's interesting is what happens in that moment. When we read that, when we read that we should forgive other people of the ways that they have sinned against us as we are forgiven by God, we go really quickly to the second half of that. And that's not uncommon. That's exactly uh, what Jesus' disciples did. In fact, uh, Jesus was talking about forgiveness and Peter had the same response that most of us had. And so I want to read to you the story of what happened in this case. So if you would, stand with me. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to start in verse 21 and read through the end of the chapter. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. 
He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. See, because we are trained with this idea of just tolerating other people, we are much more concerned with the second part of the phrase that we're looking at, that we forgive our debtors. But what's really the problem is the first half of the phrase. See, we are more interested, just like Peter was, in how many times do I have to forgive? What's, what's my responsibility? What's the bare minimum requirements of forgiveness, Jesus? How do I get a C in this class? And Jesus says, no, you're missing something a lot bigger. You're missing something much more radical. You, some people think that the radical thing about Christianity is it asks us to forgive others. That's not the most radical thing about Christianity. The most radical thing about Christianity is that it says that we need to ask for forgiveness. But we don't want to talk about that. I, I don't want to talk about how I need to ask for forgiveness. Because that requires me to be humble. That requires me to admit that I'm wrong. And I haven't been. I've never been wrong. I've always been perfect. Just ask my wife. We, so, so what we do, the way we hide from this idea that we need to ask for forgiveness, is we focus in on the, well, how exactly should I forgive my debtors? Does it just mean financial debtors? Is it moral debtors as well? And, and we, we want to dig in. So, so Jesus... Do I have to forgive seven times? Okay, seven times, 70, 77, so 490. That's like the most, the highest number I can, so if I forgive somebody 490 times, Jesus, I'm good. And we start to do the calculus of all of that, and what we're doing is we're hiding. We are running away from what's really radical and difficult about this part of the Lord's Prayer, which is that you and I have amassed debt before God. You and I owe God more than we could possibly pay. You see, what God requires of us as creatures is that we are always and constantly joyously obedient. I have not been always and constantly joyously obedient to what God asks of me. In fact, if I'm being real honest, I have rarely been constantly joyously obedient to what God asks of me. I may have stretches of five minutes once or twice a week where that might describe me. But I haven't. I haven't always been 
what God has called me to be. I haven't measured up to the measuring stick. And it's not just the things that I have done, but I love one of the prayers that we pray here at City Church. Forgive me for the things that I've done and the things that I have left undone. See, the bar isn't just that every one of our actions be perfect. It's that we always make the right decisions to act. How many times have you seen something going wrong and you put your head down and said, not my problem? How many times have you heard something going on in your neighborhood and you quickly close the blinds and lock the door so you don't have to deal with what's going on? I would rather not have to deal with this. Right? This, this happened to me just the other day. Uh, on Friday night, uh, there was some kids walking home from school uh, and a Rottweiler had gotten out in our neighborhood. And the Rottweiler was like roaming the streets. And I mean, this was not like, you know, a puppy. This was, you know, the big, bulky, may as well have had a, a chain on, like, big old Rottweiler. And there was this junior high-age girl, and the Rottweiler was between her and her house. And so we hear this scream come from around the corner. And so, of course, we, we happened to be getting out of our car, so we sort of jumped up and, you know, walked up the block to see what was going on. Right? Most of us, after that, after we saw, okay, it's just a girl and a dog, carry on, right? We, we, would, we would not want to get involved. We don't want to mess around. But God says it's not just the things that we've done, but it's the things that we have left undone that we are measured by. And the Bible uses all sorts of metaphors for this. Sometimes it's that we have trespassed against God's law. Sometimes it's that we have missed the mark of what God requires of us. Sometimes it is that we have piled up moral debt. And not only have we piled up moral debt, but it's a debt that we could never pay because our sins aren't just against others. They're against an infinitely holy God. Which means that our sins are infinitely offensive. So good luck to all you guys. I hope you guys can figure this all out uh, in this life before it's over. So knock yourselves out. Good luck trying. Have fun. Let's pray. No. Thing about this story and this forgiveness is that there's more to it. You know, it's interesting that the parable that Jesus taught helps us see the reality of this because the first servant who comes into his master owes an astronomical debt. It's not like a lot of money that maybe I could get together. Like, think if somebody came to you and said, Hey, I'm going to send you to jail if you can't come up with 5,000 bucks, right? Now, most of us don't have $5,000 laying around in between the seat cushions. But if we knew we were going to jail, most of us could call in some favors, ask a friend, get a loan. Most of us could maybe come up with that amount of money. But if somebody came to us and said, hey, by the way, um, if you don't come up with $5 billion, you're going to jail in the next week. I, I would say, all right, take me. This is... There's, I don't know if everybody who I've ever met in my entire life, all totaled together, would have that much money. I'm not coming up with it. Let's not wait the week. Let's just get this over with. Take me in. 
This is the sort of insurmountable debt that the first servant owed. And it's to show that the debt that we have before God is that same sort of insurmountable. That it is higher than we can imagine. See, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is the real stumbling block to Christianity. This is the hardest pill to swallow about what the Bible teaches. Not, not the second part. Not that you need to forgive others. That's, that's hard, but reasonable. The part of this that is the hardest is admitting that when I stand before God, I am justly deserving of His displeasure. That grates against us. Even some of you who are here who are Christians hear that and go, I mean, I mean I've done stuff wrong, but justly deserving God's wrath and displeasure? I mean, I'm not that bad. And we quickly start to go through our lives and try to self-justify just a little bit. Well, I mean, I did do that one nice thing that one time. You know, at least that gets a little bit of points in my favor. And so we, even as Christians, begin to justify ourselves and think, yeah, but the the good things that I have done should move the needle on my debt a little bit. Uh, There's a TV show uh, called The Good Place. uh, And it's been pretty popular for the past few years. And the idea is that um, the woman in the show, played by Kristen Bell, dies and she ends up in The Good Place. And she says, why did I end up in the good place? And they said, well, every action that you do on earth has a a score associated with it. And if you do good actions, your score goes up. If you do bad actions, your score goes down. And when you die, if if you're green, you get to come to the good place. If you're red, you have to go to the bad place. And I won't ruin the whole story, but at some point during the course of the show, she realizes that she needs to increase her number. And so she goes around trying to do every good deed that she can. She's holding the door for people. She's being like super polite. She's like cleaning up after people and picking up litter. And she's doing all this stuff. And it doesn't even move the needle of her score. All of the good works that we can do could never move the needle on our debt before God. We are absolutely helpless in front of it. There is nothing we can do about the debt that we owe to God. You cannot move the needle. You cannot run from it. It is there. And so the only thing we can do is ask for forgiveness for it. Oh. And that's exactly what the Lord's Prayer teaches us to do. And not only does the Lord's Prayer teach us that we should ask for forgiveness from Jesus, but it anticipates that we can find it. That God is willing to forgive. But our understanding of our forgiveness is in direct relation to how bad we think we are. If we think, God, I've, I've made a few mistakes were made, God, but please forgive me for those mistakes. How great are we going to feel after that? We feel fine. But if I believe that I really have offended God, I really have angered God, and He is willing to forgive me for that, how am I going to feel? Much better. Think about the parable that we read. 
The, the contrast that you really see in the parable is how ridiculous it is that a guy who owes $5 billion goes and beats a guy up over 15 bucks. That he throws a guy in jail over three cups of coffee from Bandit. Expensive coffee. But he was just forgiven for billions of dollars in debt. A, something he could never pay back. To where this guy that he goes and throws in jail, yeah, okay, that's a couple, that's like half, that's like half an hour's worth of work or something. Whatever it is, right? That, that's easy. We can get that back. I can get you that money. The contrast there is to remind us that the degree to which you see that Jesus has forgiven you is directly related to how much you see that you're actually a sinner. If you're kind of a sinner, Jesus is kind of a savior. But if you're a really big sinner, Jesus is a really big savior. And that's something for us to be grateful for. Because when we realize how great our debt is before God, we realize how big His forgiveness is. And that kind of forgiveness, that kind of forgiveness that's not just like, yeah, fine, I'll get you a cup of coffee next time. The way that we as friends treat one another when we go out, no, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll pick up the check this time, you get it next time. When it's no big deal, Jesus is no big deal. When it's a really big deal, it's not just that Jesus becomes a really big deal to us, but that kind of forgiveness becomes transformative. It becomes the kind of forgiveness that changes us. It becomes the kind of gift that we realize we could never repay. It becomes the kind of sweetness that we realize that you never deserve. It's love in the face of knowing everything that you've done wrong. And that sort of love, that sort of forgiveness will change us if we really believe it. But it begins with us being willing to admit that we actually have done stuff wrong. And not just little things, but significant things that have had significant consequences in the lives of others. That we need real forgiveness. But what's interesting is, as that works out in our heart, as we begin to see that we have been forgiven by God, we begin to see that we can forgive others. And so Jesus calls us not just to see, yes, that we are in debt to God and need to be forgiven by Him, but it also sort of flows that the next thing that would happen is that we would begin to forgive others. Now for some of you, that's hard. Because when I say there is someone in your life who you need to forgive, your mind immediately fills that box with somebody who has hurt you deeply. And for some of you, because I know you, I know some of those scars are raw and painful. And that's hard. So what does it mean to forgive somebody who has really wronged you, who has hurt you? There's four things that I sort of jotted down that I think are helpful for us in thinking through it. The first one is that we no longer want revenge on them. That we're no longer harboring this idea that 
if I could, I would get revenge. What it looks like to forgive somebody who has really hurt you is that you begin to be willing to wish them well. That you're not going to hold a grudge against them. That every time you think of them, it's not, I hope that something bad happens to them. No, rather, it's, I hope they have a good life. Beginning to forgive other people might mean that you would pray for them. And lastly, you would reconcile with them as much as is safe for you or as is possible. What's interesting as we see this sort of forgiveness, we see it in the life of Jesus. Because while he was being tortured on the cross, the men around him took his clothes and began to divide them up. And because the garment that he happened to be wearing was nice, they decided instead of ripping it up and everybody taking a piece home, what they would do is they would play craps and whoever won got his clothes. And so he is there dying on the cross and they are running a small casino for his clothes beneath him. And what does Jesus say? Does he say, come on guys, that's literally insult to injury. Does he say, y'all going to pay for this? Wait till I get my revenge on you. Wait till I come and come back for you people. Is that what Jesus says on the cross? No. What Jesus says on the cross is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus wasn't out for revenge. Jesus was praying for them. Jesus was doing that to show us what it looks like to forgive others. The only way that this is possible is when we begin to see what Jesus has done for us. That He has, because of the cross, forgiven the debts that we owed. You see, that's what the cross was. It was Jesus paying your debts. All the wrath that God had stored up for you in that moment was dumped out on Jesus. All the wrath, all the debt that you had piled up was poured out on Jesus. But the beauty of the gospel is, it's not just that Jesus paid your debts. It's something more. It would be like this. Imagine you got a notice in the mail that because of a calculating error on your mortgage of your house, you had to go down to the bank, and you went down to the bank and they said, sorry, somebody accidentally added an extra zero or two to your mortgage. And instead of owing this much money, you owe $4 million on your house now. And you said, I, I don't know what I can do. I, it, it's an error. Can somebody fix it? No, no sorry. Well, please, would, would you forgive me? Could, could, I, could, I, could you please pay this debt off for me? And the guy in the bank says, you know what? Yeah, yeah, you're right. We'll just erase that for you. And you walk out and you're thinking, okay. This is great. I no longer am $4 million in debt. Life is good. And then all of a sudden you feel a tap on your shoulder. And it's the guy from the bank again. And he says, oh, sorry, sir. I need you to come back in. I didn't tell you the whole story. And the stomach, your stomach drops. You get nervous. Oh, no. What's it going to be? And you walk in and there's a man 
with a paintbrush and a giant canvas there. He says, oh, we're not just paying off your debt. You're now the owner of Bank of America, and you have $3 trillion in your account, and this guy's going to paint the big picture you know, to, to hang up so that you get the regal picture. You are now the full owner of Bank of America. You're not just out of debt, but we have credited your account with more money than you could ever dream of. That is what Jesus did for us. Jesus doesn't just say, I forgive you and we're fine, go away. Jesus says, no, no. I not only forgive you, but I give you all of the riches that I deserve, I'm giving to you. That is what it means for us to be adopted as the sons and daughters of God. It means that Jesus not just sets us back to zero, not just pays our debts, Jesus pays our debts and gives us more than we could ever imagine and invites us to be his family so that we begin to have a new kind of life, a new kind of life that's free from guilt because our debt is paid, a new kind of life that's free from shame because we are fully accepted by God. A new kind of life where we are free to be the kind of people who forgive others because we know what it means to truly be forgiven. May Jesus do that in your heart and mine. Let's pray.